The whole Israelite, Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out from Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites, Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, Some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much, and he who had gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, they kept part of it until morning but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. 
Now, I don't know whether to ask this question or not, but has anyone seen I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here? No? So, some over there, I was hoping that some of you might, so you know a bit of what I'm on about. Well, what happens is you get some people who called celebrities, and I use that term loosely, because nine times out of ten, you don't know who they are, and you uh, put them in the jungle, you make them do difficult things, and you watch as the relationships and tensions unfold. And before long, not long at all, they start to complain. They start to complain about each other. They start to just complain about the fact that they've not got their luxuries of everyday life. And people call that entertainment. (laughs) But if you put a bunch of hungry people together who haven't slept well, you put them in a hot climate and give them something difficult to do, then I'd be amazed if you didn't see some grumbling. Chances are you'll see people complaining at each other and people mostly not being very happy with life in general because people find it easier to complain. And let's be honest, some people are really good at it. And (laughs) the Israelites were definitely good at complaining. Back in chapter 1, we know that um, after the Israelites had lived in Egypt for some time in relative peace, a new king took over. And that peace ended. So they cried out to God to save him from the oppression of Pharaoh. And God heard their cry for help. God, remembering his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, took notice of the Israelites. And he called Moses from a burning bush. So he sent him to Pharaoh to ask him to let his people go. Pharaoh says no. So God sent a load of plagues to prove that he had power over the Egyptian gods. So the king finally let them go. No sooner had they left Egypt on their way to the promised land when they began to grumble against Moses and God. As we heard last week, they got to the edge of the Red Sea and um, they saw the Egyptian army coming after them, which was a pretty scary situation. And they said then, like they said in tonight's story, that it would have been better for them to stay in Egypt and die in Egypt. But... God intervened and they got across the sea safely and they were overjoyed by this miraculous event. And only a matter of days later, they were thirsty, but they could only find a bit of water. So again, they started to complain. What shall we drink? They said. But God provided them with water and they continued on their journey. And that brings us to where they were in tonight's reading. The people find themselves once again in less than ideal situations. And as you guessed it, they complained about it. They said, if only we had died, when at least we had enough to eat, but instead we're going to die of hunger out here. If only we had, if only. They were words of regret in the present and, I guess, fear for the future. If only, the Israelites cried out to God. And in their oppression to Pharaoh, which God sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam to lead them out. God had saved them then. God guided them through their journey to freedom. God provided water for them when they felt like they could go no further. And at every stage, God was there. And yet still, they complained. In Exodus 13, we read, uh, 21 to 22, we read, The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. 
Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the fire by night left its place in front of the people. You see, even though God was always there with them, visibly always there with them, they were still grumbling and they were still complaining. The Evormis didn't stop in the desert. You see, the people, interestingly, made no mention of Pharaoh and his unreasonable demands. In an indirect way, they seemed to blame God for both their circumstances in the wilderness and their enslavement. If only we'd died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh was the one trying to kill them in Egypt. God rescued them. Their hunger led them to what seemed to be willful forgetfulness. They'd clearly forgotten how God had guided them so far and how he'd rescued them and provided for them every step of the way. And so they complained, they grumbled. And the thing is, grumbling so often can be a perception problem. The problem is that when we grumble, our perception is faulty. It usually involves us distorting the facts or remembering things to be a lot better than they actually were. The people of Israel exaggerated in their minds the benefits of living in Egypt. They said they sat by their uh, pots of meat and they ate all they wanted of a great variety of foods. There's no way that could be true. They were slaves. They conveniently forgot about the unending amounts of hard work they had to do at Pharaoh's hand. They conveniently forgot about the lack of freedom and lack of respect that they were shown. They conveniently forgot about their anguish as they wanted more than anything to be free, but instead had to do back-breaking work for Pharaoh. And not only that, but their perception of imminent danger of starvation was exaggerated too. And this exaggerating grumbling was contagious, as is usually the case. What will have started off as a few of them ended up as the whole people of Israel complaining to God and to Moses. But you see, Exodus 16 isn't really about the complaints of the Israelites. It's part of the story of the growing relationship between the people of Israel and God. The need for food in the early stage of this journey provides an opportunity for God's people to understand him better and to learn to trust him in the everyday. Throughout Exodus, the Israelites struggle to trust and to follow God. And throughout, God continues to be there and nurture this community of former slaves. And with this complaint of hunger comes a dramatic moment in the journey. God spoke to Moses and he said, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, or words to that effect. (laughs) However, this provision of bread came with a condition. The people could gather bread for six days, and on the sixth day, God would give a double portion of bread that would last them for day seven as well. And the people were not to gather bread on the seventh day. Instead, as it says later on in verse 23, it says, "Uh, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. They were told to have a day of rest. And Moses and Aaron said to the people, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he has heard your complaining against the Lord. You shall see the glory of the Lord. Moses knows that God will provide for them. He totally trusts in God's power to provide for them, for his people. And trusting for that daily provision is not an easy thing to do, is it? Missionary statesman Hudson Taylor had complete trust in God's faithfulness. In his journal, he wrote, Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect that he'll send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. You see, God provided and always has provided for his people, and he was gracious to them. You see, this manna from heaven was a sign of God's grace because it was free. The people didn't deserve it. When he heard the complaints, instead of punishing them, he provided for them. Instead of leaving them to provide for themselves, he chose instead to give them a daily reminder of the fact that he was close to them, meeting their practical needs. He even visibly showed his presence to them in the cloud that hovered over the camp. And this manna was free. They didn't have to work for it to receive it. They had to go out and collect it. They had to do something. But they didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. Which is pretty much like what God's grace to us is. Free and undeserved. But along with that, God was faithful. If you think about it, for 40 years whilst they were in the wilderness... God didn't miss a morning when the dew lifted up from the grass and there was bread on the ground. There were no gaps in his provision for his people. There were no missed days, apart from obviously the seventh day, for a reason. Can you picture the morning routine in the camp of Israel? Two million people scattered over the desert before breakfast and went out with the task of picking up their food for the day. That's an incredible sign of God's faithfulness. Just think how easy it would be to believe in God if that was your experience. Every day you'd see how he provided for you in very practical ways. That's an amazingly powerful display of God's grace and presence every single day without fail. Every day you'd pick up the food that he provided, bread in the morning, quail in the evening. You got to see God's glory in in the cloud or hovering over you. How could you not believe in God when you had him so close? Well, we might not see the ways in which God provides for us in such visible, practical, obvious ways, but God has promised that he will never leave us and everything will work out for the good. And yet we doubt, don't we? We have no reason to doubt because God has proved himself faithful. God has not and will never fail us. But God responded to the people's need for assurance And gave them this visible sign. But God did more than provide for the daily needs. He did something else as well. You see, through his provision, God designed and carried out the plan to take these former slaves and make them into the people God wanted them to be. To shape them into being the true people of God as he would have them be. You see, before their escape from Egypt... 
They knew only a life where they were captive. They had no freedom. And their life in Egypt taught them only to store things up. They were constantly hoarding. Life was competitive. And human lives were abused and broken in order to fulfill the hunger of the human elite. Life was a struggle. And it was all about power and getting things and what you did or didn't have. But here in the wilderness, God not only gave them the assurance they needed, but he took the time to change the kind of people that they were. He took the chance to shape them into being a different kind of community. He taught them through the daily gathering of their food that fell from the sky that they could trust in him and his provision for them. Their lives would be totally different to the lives they led in Egypt. They wouldn't be in slavery anymore. The motives wouldn't be anything like the motives of Pharaoh. They were, the Pharaoh's motives were greed and power and self-importance. But here it was about putting God first and trusting in his provision. And to teach them all this, he gave them a test. And what was the test? Well, it was keeping the Sabbath. On the surface, this test enables God to uh, know the people's response to the gift of manna. Will they follow God's instruction and gather only what they need according to the day? Will they respect the Sabbath? But the test also served another, perhaps more important purpose. The gathering of the manna in the wilderness with specific instructions of when to do this and when to rest creates a structure in the people's lives that's a reliable constant in the turmoil of their wilderness experience. You see, the people gathered in the morning what they needed and no more, except on the day before the Sabbath when they gathered enough for both days. There were no days on which the manna failed to appear. They didn't know it would be 40 years, but regardless, this provision of the manna never failed. And through this routine and order was established in the midst of chaos. Work for six days, gather the food that you need for six days, and enough for the seventh on day six, and then on day seven, rest. You see, where they had come from was so very different, because Egypt really represented a lack of rest with a pharaoh who cared nothing for their needs, and nothing for their well-being. But here, food and rest were provided reliably and generously. The difference between the former reality of their lives in Egypt and their present reality in the hands of a trustworthy God provide, provided them, providing for them in the wilderness was unmistakable. Walter Brueggemann said, Sabbath in the first instance is not about worship. It's about work stoppage. It's about withdrawal of the anxiety of system of Pharaoh, the refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. You see, the stress and the chaos of the life people of Israel led in the wilderness was intense and debilitating, so much so that the people wanted their former lives as slaves and they longed to go back. But God reminded them that his strength was enough and that the food that he provided and the way he provided it provided structure. And this instruction to keep the Sabbath was a test to see if they would trust him and do that. And this test and keeping the Sabbath 
reminded them that they were more than parts of an empire. They were all human beings who needed rest and rejuvenation. Even in a crisis with chaos all around, Sabbath practice was essential to their lives and to them becoming the people of God that he wanted them to be. You see, the people God wanted them to be is people who trusted in him completely, in providing them for the present and providing for their future. The root of the Hebrew word Sabbath means to stop. Stop doing what you're doing the other six days of the week. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? And here in Exodus 16, God commanded humans to stop, put aside their daily chore of gathering bread, and marvel at God's provision for them. In the wilderness, God forged a relationship with the people that called them to trust him to provide for them day in and day out. The manna was a gift and it was a test. It was a test of their faith in him. But I'll be totally honest with you here. I think the concept of Sabbath rest is a difficult one in our 21st century world. How can we simply stop? What will happen to our jobs? What will happen to our families? What will happen to our sense of identity if we stop? Well, life goes on and who are we to ignore God's command to us? If we don't stop, how can we be ready, rested and rejuvenated for the work that God will have us do? But it's easy to let other things get in the way and to not actually stop. But when we're in stressful times, those times of prayer and worship can bring order to chaos. And it's been said, every now and then, go away. Have a little relaxation, for when you come back to your work, judgment will be surer. Since to remain constantly at work will cause you to lose power of judgment. Go some distance away, because then the work appears smaller and more of it can be taken in at a glance. And lack of harmony or proportion is more readily seen. And the person who said those words, well, that was Leonardo da Vinci. He excelled as a painter, a sculptor, a poet, an architect, an engineer, a city planner, a scientist, an inventor, an anatomist, anatomist, a military genius, and a philosopher. So as you can see, stopping is no bad thing. But what does it mean to stop? Stopping isn't simply taking time to rest, but it's taking time to think about our place in the world that God has created. Stopping is not actually entirely about making sure we've got enough energy for the things we've got to do, but more about reflecting on the way that God provides for us every day. Like I said, Sabbath rest and the whole stopping thing is something that I've never really found that easy to do. But the more I think about it, the more I realise that actually it's not helpful in the slightest if we ignore it. You see, Sabbath is about resting in God's provision for us, both practically and spiritually. It's about taking that time out to honour God and say, you know what, God? Thank you. Thank you for the ways in which you provided for us. Thank you for the things that we have and take for granted. Because by taking that time out, we can recognise That it's not us that gets us the thing we need day by day, but it's God who provides for us. But more than that, spiritually, it's about knowing and acknowledging that we have a hope and a future in Jesus. It's about taking time to put his rightful place, or put God in his rightful place in our lives, which is totally and utterly in control. And it's like saying, God, I trust you completely 
with the whole of my life. Mark Driscoll said, on the Sabbath day, we're remembering that my relationship with God did not begin with what I've done. It's not sustained by what I do. It's not guaranteed to the end by my effort or work. I'm saved from beginning to end by Jesus' work. You see, Sabbath is about taking, those, taking the time to bring order to our chaotic lives in full awareness of just how far God has brought us out of our own versions of the wilderness and it's preparing ourselves for what lies ahead, allowing God to shape us into the people he wants us to be. Just as the people of Israel once were slaves who worked to gain things and God was working them to change them to be the people he wanted them to be, who trusted him completely because they were no longer at the hands of Pharaoh. In the same way, because of Jesus, we're no longer slaves to sin and we have a new hope and a new future with God. And observing the Sabbath, well, that's simply resting in that truth. Resting in the knowledge of what God has done for us in Jesus. Resting in his provision for us. And saying to God, here I am. I'm thankful for everything you've done in my life. Now take it and use it as you will. Let's pray together. God of all, we pause. We thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you for each opportunity to do good. Help us to give you glory in all we do and say. We thank you for the many customs and values that we share. We thank you for the variety found within your creation. And today we celebrate your renewing life among us. We thank you that you are a God of abundant joy. We revel in your promise to renew our lives. We remind ourselves of your active involvement in the detail of our lives. We're in awe that you take such a loving interest in us. Help us to respond by surrendering our lives totally to you again. And Lord, we pray that this community might be a place of genuine worship, authentic encounters and deep and lasting transformation. We ask that we will experience the power of your love as you continue to change our lives for the good of the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, into whose image we're being formed. Amen.